In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Pastor John Mark Caton continues in a series entitled Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood. John Mark teaches on the thought that you should be on your guard and talks about the sweet victory of Paul. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. All right, good seeing you guys uh, today, and uh, especially the new guys. Welcome, good to have you. And as we continue to talk through uh, uh, really what it means to be a man, uh, and uh, we look at these five pillars of biblical manhood, if you don't remember the, uh, the primary verse, one you want to memorize is uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. And here it is, and these are going to be the five pillars. We're in pillar number one. Be on your guard, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at a biblical example, a, a guy uh, that, uh, that failed epically uh, in that particular pillar. And then we're also going to look at someone that succeeded uh, in an amazing way and had an experience, sweet victory along the way. Uh, if you were here last week, you remember we said, Max Lucado said, God never told a man, God never said to us that the journey would be easy, but he did say it would be worthwhile. He did say it would be worthwhile. And so as you and I journey, and we think back where we were last week, and that first pillar, be on your guard. Uh, we as men always have to be on our guard. Satan is always looking to trip us up. Uh, the world will always provide an opportunity for us to fail. There will often be others around us who will enable us to fail and cost us way more than we want to pay and desire to pay. And last week on that idea of be on your guard, we looked at a dude that probably could have had it all. We looked at a guy named Samson, that uh, he was strong and he was powerful and God uh, moved in his life and with all the failure, and in spite of all the failure in Samson's life, we continued to see this phrase, and God's Spirit came upon Samson. And God used Samson in a lot of amazing ways and powerful ways, but how much more could God have used Samson had he been on his guard instead of constantly falling into temptation or being in the wrong places or surrounding himself with the wrong people? So for, for all the good, that God was able to do through a broken person, a broken prophet, a broken judge named Samson, how much more could God have used him had he stayed on his guard? And so for you and I today, um, that's the same question for us, is how much has God used you up till this moment? And then as you reflect back on your life, how much more could God have used you? And then as we look forward in our life, how much more does God want to do through you? And I truly believe if you are willing to say, God, use me, that regardless of what you've been through in your past, regardless of the mistakes you've made, the failures that have happened, the struggles you've been through, God has incredible opportunities for you in the days ahead. God wants to use you, regardless of that. And so this whole theme right now from last week and this week is the idea of being on our guard. Samson consistently failed. If you remember, we looked last week at Samson and uh, his whole life uh, was driven uh, by his passions. You remember what we talked about? Man, he let lust 
rule his life. And he let lust be what drove his relationships with women in particular. Uh, Samson was entitled. Remember, he went down, he found a girl in Timnah, went back to his parents and said, go down and get her for me. And they go, you know, you really don't want her. And he goes, she's the one for me. Go get her for me. That's entitlement. And then we saw also in his life that uh, he was driven by, by a, uh, a pride that he thought he was better than everybody else. Remember, he went down to the Timna, uh, gathered around those 30 men and uh, said, well, I'm smarter than all these guys. And so he created this, um, this riddle. And he goes, if you can't uh, determine the answer of this riddle, uh, he goes, you got to give me 30 pieces of clothes. If you can, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothes. He thought he was smarter than they were. And what did they do? They outfoxed, they outfoxed the fox, right? They went around, they went through his fiancée, the one he was engaged to, the one he was in that marriage week one, and they put pressure on her, and ultimately she broke him down, took the answer, gave it back to them, and he had to then get 30 pieces of clothes. What was his response? Rage. Then he let the passion and rage get him. He goes down the road, kills 30 dudes. They had nothing to do with it. But he goes and kills 30 other guys because of a dumb decision that he had made, takes their clothes, brings them back, and gives them to the guys. Now, I do think, and we talked about this last week, imagine getting one of those pairs of clothes with a little blood splatter on it. You're like, where did these come from? No, nah, I just bought it. They're brand new. They're like new, right? And, and so he was driven by anger and lust and entitlement. And, and then there are other times, blame that here, just take that one example, that he went down, found a girl he shouldn't have had, went back to his parents, his parents gave him good wisdom, you don't need that girl. He said, get her for me, entitlement, that's the one I want. He said exact words in the Hebrew, she's the one for me. His parents go down and arrange this marriage, they don't want to, they arrange the marriage. He creates the riddle. They outfox him, they figure out what the answer to the riddle is. He goes and kills 30 people. The word, once he gives them the clothes, the word of the 30 dudes that he killed gets back to the men of the city that he gave the clothes to. They, in a rage, go kill his fiancée and, and, uh, uh, and ultimately uh, her dad. And he goes back and attacks them and he goes, look what you've made me do. Wait, they didn't do it. This whole thing was about you. And so, guys, as we think about his epic fail, because Samson lived his life for himself, for his own passions, his own pleasure, and his own lust. And that led him to an epic failure. But today we're going to look at a guy that you and I know, and in the New Testament his name's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had pretty non-impressive beginnings. Matter of fact, when we introduce to Paul, he is persecuting the church. He is right there when the first martyr of the church is uh, uh, a stone, when Stephen is stoned, that, that deacon that was selected. Paul's right there. He's holding the cloaks. He's holding the clothes of those who are throwing the stones. He's cheering them on. Man, it doesn't look very good at the beginning. And maybe, maybe guys, that's you. 
Maybe there's some in here, you're like Samson. You were born in church or raised by godly parents and all of a sudden you let passion and pleasure and lust rule your life and you're somewhere down your journey. And the invitation to you is to come back and be on your guard from here on out. Maybe there's others here, man, you're more like Paul. That you didn't grow up in church. You didn't have faith growing up. Your parents didn't point the right way. Samson had that. Maybe, maybe you don't have any of that. Maybe you've, you've, you've actually attacked the church over the years or you've, you, you've blamed Christians or you've done this, but God has something for you. And it starts right now. God has something for me. But for us to be successful to the end, we have to be on our guard. You know, I've got to be honest with you, when we think about being on our guard, um, I, I'm not necessarily a Tom Brady fan. How many of y'all are a Tom Brady fan? Yeah, you know, there, there's a lot to admire in Tom Brady. You want, let me tell you the main reason I am not a Tom Brady fan. He doesn't play for the Cowboys. <laughs> right? Had he been playing for us for the last 18 years, I'd love him. But, you know, he grew up and he goes to Michigan. I'm not a Michigan Wolverine fan. Uh, if you know anything about his, his story, if you know anything about his story, he didn't even start his first couple of years. He was behind lesser quarterbacks that one of them, if I said their name, that he started behind, one of them you would at least remember their name and you would go, they weren't that good. They weren't that good. He, he, every year for the first couple of years, he was red-shirted, then he didn't start again, then he didn't start again. Every year... The question was, is he going to stay? Is he going to stay? Is he going to stay? But he did. And he finally won the job. He finally won the job. I don't know if you just saw, he just had a, an interview with Peter King recently. And, and I would never encourage you to go to Tom Brady uh, for good wisdom. But if you haven't seen this interview, I want to encourage you to go get it. Because some of the things that he talked about in there are some of the things that you and I think and what's going on right now. Here's what he said, exact quote. He was talking to Peter King uh, on Football Night in America. He says, life is about always changing and adapting to different things. And he's obviously talking about life in football. That, that football is an extremely simple sport that changes all the time, right? It's about blocking and tackling. Don't we say it all the time? It's about X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, right? What are they saying? It's an incredibly simple game that changes all the time. Life is incredibly simple, but it changes all the time. Notice what he says. He, he says, life is about always changing and adapting to different things. He says, today, the world wants to blame and shame and guilt for everything all the time. So true. And he was putting it in the context of a team. He goes, if we fell, I could blame the offensive line. I could blame the receivers. I could blame our defense. I could blame our special teams. I could blame our coach. I could blame someone else. That's what he was saying. He says, or I can walk in the room and, I say, and say, guys, we have got to do better. And I thought, incredible. But he didn't stop right there. He goes ahead and gives some parenting advice. Listen to what he says. He says, life right now, today, the world wants to blame everybody else and shame everybody else. Then he goes on. He says, I would never teach that to my kids. I would never teach that to my kids. He says, I would never say this to my kids. This is how you're going to get through life your best way. He says, you're going to blame everybody else for your mistakes. 
man, doesn't that resonate? I mean, we live in a world. If a kid struggles in a class, the parents don't blame the kid for not studying, they blame the teacher. If their kid's not good enough to play a sport, they blame the coach, right? He said, I would never, I would never teach my kids this. He says, if you're not good enough, get better, right? Work harder. He goes on. I just thought it was so good. He says, you're not going to get through life your best way. You're going to blame by, by blaming other people when things don't go your way. And he goes, and you're never going to live your best life if you go around, listen, thinking I should always get what I want, but no one else should get what they want. And so, man, I, I thought that was an incredible way to put it. That if you and I are going to journey through life, I don't, I, don't, I don't know your story. And you don't know my story. You don't know everything that's happened to get me to where I am. I don't know everything that's happened to get you where you, you are. My guess is you've been through some very difficult things. Some of you have been through some sweet victory. Some of you are like Samson, had an incredible start with parents who cared. Some of you are more like Paul, who were, who, who were uh, offended by the faith and attacked the faith. Some of you have had some monumental successes that I would love to hang on my wall. Some of you have had some monumental failures in your life that I would be ashamed to have on my wall. But here's how we're going to get through life best is not blaming somebody else, not shaming somebody else, owning who I am and where I am, and then begin to look to the future and be on our guard. And be on our guard. And from this point on, with God's grace and God's power and God's spirit, to be the best you you can be. To be the best you you can be. And I want you to know, guys, when I look in your eyes... I believe God looks at many of us, many of you, and even me. And he says, man, you've got so much more in there. I've got so much more for you to do. You say, how do I know this? Someone just brought it up a few minutes ago. I'm on this side of the dirt. And as long as you're on this side of the dirt, God's got more for you. And as I was just thinking this week, as we think about the failure and that, uh, uh, that Samson experienced, the epic failure of never being on his guard and the sweet victory of Paul in his life, and we're not going to roll through his life uh, fully, but let me just give you some contrast uh, between Samson and Paul. About the only thing that Samson and Paul, the Apostle Paul, have in common is that they both died prisoners. How many of you know? Samson was down in Gaza because he had followed his passion. He was with the wrong woman. He gave up his secrets, and he got his eyes gouged out, and he died as a prisoner down in Gaza. Paul died as a prisoner in Rome. That's about all they have in common. Now, they got there through different paths, Paul got there serving God, trusting God, planting churches, preaching the gospel, being as faithful as he could be. But if you look through Paul's life, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bit, he was hungry, he was naked, he was cold, he was mocked by other people. Those he cared so much for turned their back on him. Anybody ever had any of those happen in your life? And he's in prison and has every reason to be bitter, and blame someone else, 
and he does it. And Samson, just one failure after another failure after another failure, and I will just tell you, in Samson's life, God gave him one chance after another chance after another chance after another chance. Guys, we're all going to get to the end of the road someday. We're all going to be a prisoner in our own body that is failing us someday in some way. The question is, when we get there, in a prisoner in our own body, what kind of legacy will we leave? What, will we be, what kind of a baton and legacy will we hand off to our kids? Some of you say, man, I have just so screwed it up and messed it up. Maybe your legacy for your kids is dad is an incredible example of living for a long time, messing things up. But man, those last five years, those last 10 years, those last 15 years, those last 20 years, those, those last 30 years, man, he knew how to compete. He knew how to point to God. And others, if we aren't careful, we could end up as an epic failure. But so Paul and, and Samson, about the only thing that is the same about them is that they both died as prisoners, one in Gaza, one in Rome. Here's some contrast. Samson was born to be a Nazarite, sold out to God, not let anybody cut his hair, be faithful to God, not, not drink alcohol. And that's who Samson was born to be. You heard, hear from time to time, someone just says, boy, they're just a natural. Anybody have a, have a kid like that, that they're just, they're just a natural? They're born with something. And you're just like, man, they, they can. Some people are born, and they're just musical. How many of you know? They can just pick up an instrument and start playing, and, you know, or, or someone can put a mic in front of their face and start singing. And I've still said, my, if God get, grants me one request in heaven, is, is one request, is I want to be able to sing in front of all of y'all and y'all not laugh. That's my one request. Because I'm so awful. And I will tell you, for 26 years, I've, I've gone to conferences and I've gone to pastor's conference, and there is nothing more moving than for a pastor to be preaching along, and then all of a sudden they bust out in a song. You ever been into that? And you're like, that dude's so talented. And I just hate their guts. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, God, I mean, I've got worship people that can do that, but why would you waste good singing on somebody that can also preach? And you know, the truth is, man, we don't all, but Samson was born to be a Nazarite. Paul was born to be an apostle. One was born to be separated, separated to God. One was born apart from God, but to be sold out for God. One ended up an epic failure. One ended up with sweet victory. Uh, beyond that, Samson, all Samson wanted to do was kill his enemies. That's all he wanted to do is kill his enemies. What did Paul want to do? He wanted to share the gospel with his enemies. Guys, when you think about your enemies in life, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to see them die? Or you want to share the gospel with them? Samson just wanted them to die. Paul wanted to share the gospel with them. Man, if someone was an enemy of the faith, his prayer was that they would receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Why? Because he knew as soon as they, were tra they had trusted Christ as Savior, they wouldn't be his enemies, they'd be his friends. They would share in the suffering for the gospel. 
Another, another contrast between these two guys. Man, Samson was a strong man from birth who became weak through sin. I'm going to say that again. Samson was a strong man from birth who became weak through sin. Why? Because he wasn't on his guard. If you look at the Apostle Paul, Paul was a weak man who became strong through serving and sharing the gospel. Samson was strong, became weak because of the sin in his life. Paul was weak, but became strong because he served others and shared the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you a strong man? And is your constant failure and sin making you weaker and weaker and weaker? Or are you a weak man that don't feel like you have many talents, many gifts, much strength, but God wants to make you strong because you serve others, you share the gospel with others, and you reach others? Here's another contrast that I was, just, I was thinking. You look through Samson's life, you can almost come up with two prayers. Two. But even in those prayers, they're selfish prayers. God, let me go kill them. Now, I, I don't encourage that kind of prayer unless you're in the military. Uh, you can come up twice. You can kind of say, all right, Samson prayed twice. Let me ask you a question. When you look back over your last week, your last month, your last year, how consistently have you prayed? And I want you to know as your pastor, praying's not easy for me. Praying's easy for my wife. Man, she wakes up every morning, has a consistent devotion. She's got that prayer life, and she's this, and she's that. And, and, and I, you know, we'll sit down with somebody who, who, who perhaps has been through something, and, and they will have told me I knew about their problems. I, I, remember, I, I may remember them. someone brought them up. And Gina will look at them and go, you know, I prayed for you uh, about this, and you're still on my prayer list. How is this going? And I'm sitting there going, I had totally forgotten about that. Why? Because when she hears a prayer request, she's, my wife still writes on paper. Does anybody still write on paper? I don't. I put it in the notes of my phone. Now the problem is I've got 600,000 notes in my phone. I can't find one. Anybody else know? I mean, that's what I'm doing. And guess what? I very rarely bring it up. Let me tell you what. Samson prayed. You can, you can give him twice. Guys, if, if you look back over the history of your life, or maybe the last week, of the, and, and we can very rarely see you praying, you're probably setting yourself up for failure. Praying, God, give me strength. Get me through this. God, help, help me overcome this desire, this passion, this sinful uh, struggle that I go through. Now, you go from... Samson, who you can maybe see him praying twice, and they were selfish prayers, to Paul, who prayed all the time. I mean, I've just got a list. I could sit here and spend the rest of this morning and next week just going from one prayer to another prayer to another prayer. To Paul was consistently praying. And guess when Paul was praying? Paul was praying when things were going good. Paul was praying when things were going bad. Paul was praying and praising God for what he had gone through when he got on the other side. And he was also praying for what he was about to go through. 
Lord, I pray when I get to this location, I pray that you would make me effective. God, I'm in this location and it's hard. I pray that you would give me strength to endure. God, that was hard, but I thank you for the victory you gave me. What is he praying? Praying before, middle, after, before, middle, after. Man, we all do. Man, life is hard sometimes and we've got to learn to pray our way through it. And then finally in their death, Samson could only complain about the fact that he lost his eyes. And all he wanted to do was kill his enemies. When Paul died, he could triumphantly say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Guys, that's sweet victory. So let me just dive into you and let me give you a couple of thoughts as we think about not being epic failures in our life, but being more like Paul and having sweet victories. Let me give you a, a couple of quick thoughts on how you and I can experience sweet victory from this point to the end of our life. Number one, remember, Paul, just exactly what I just said, kept the faith. He made a decision. He was in it for the long haul. He was in it to the bitter end. Guys, you need to encourage yourself right now. You need to tell yourself. You need to surround yourself right now. You say, I can't do one thing about yesterday or yesterday's yesterday. But what I can do is say from this point on, I will keep the faith. When it comes to my time, when I'm imprisoned in my own body, and I know my moments are not long, that I want to have kept the faith. You say, where do you see that? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. This is Paul. He is writing to his protege, Timothy. And he's writing to his protege, Timothy, because he knows he's about to die. And so here it is, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. He says, and the time for my departure is near. Look at verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, if you jump forward to verse 8, here's his reward. He says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. I love that. Which is the Lord, the righteous judge. Then he says, and he will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who long for his appearance. Now, now guys, as we think about that verse. Let me just kind of break it down. Those verses, let me break it down a little bit. Notice the first thing he says. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Uh, if you look at that word, already being poured out is really one Greek word. And, and it's, a, it's a Greek word that is spinzo, basically, just like you and I spend money. He, he's saying like this bottle. He sees his life as being poured out is, yeah, I could pour water out of this bottle for a while, but there's going to come an end, right? There's going to be a moment when it stops flowing. And Paul says, my life is already being poured out. Man, that's vivid imagery for us to think about Paul. But do you realize that all day today you're going to be pouring? There's a little coming out of your bottle all day. Every second, every minute every moment. How much is left in your bottle? I don't know. How much is left in my bottle? I don't know. If you can tell me how much time is left in my bottle, you're an actuary. How many of you know? Right? 
They, they can pretty well gauge when you're going to die, and they get paid big bucks to, uh, to basically guess and statistically say, this group of guys, this person, someone with this history, they're going to die, right? You ever had insurance work done where they say, man, I want a $500,000 policy or a million dollar policy, or maybe you're a key man in your business, they wanted a $5 million policy or something like that. What are they doing? They're estimating how much water is still in your bottle. There are people that are geniuses that they know they can look at your life and they can look at groups of people and they can estimate with incredible accuracy how much water is left in your bottle, how many more breaths you can take. And they don't even know us. Here's what I've known. As, as I apply for a life insurance policy or something, I fill out all this questionnaire, right? I fill all this questionnaire. They do a background check. They check you. Now they, now they say, hey, what's your credit rating? What's this? What's that? Man, what have you done in your past? They do all of that stuff. This is someone that doesn't know me. Have, has an actuary ever come to your house and done an interview with you? No. But they can look at things in our life. They can look at the details about our history, our genetics, our life, what kind of life we live, where we live, what zip code we reside in, what kind of vehicle we drive. They know all of these things, and they can tell you with accuracy how much water is left in your bottle. But guys, it's our bottle. There are people who don't know us that can tell us how much water is left in our bottle. Guys, you hold the bottle. I don't know how much water you have left. I don't know how much water I have left. Paul just says, I'm being poured out. What was he saying? He says, I'm getting down to the backwash of life. How many of you know what the backwash of life is? He says, I'm getting down to the end. And he says, man, I pray that I've spent it well. Guys, this, this, by the way, may seem discouraging. Some of you are going, man, I don't have much water left. That's not the point. The point is there's water coming out of the bottle. What are we going to do with what's left? Good gosh, I look around. You might say, there's not a ton of water in my bottle. Let me tell you what, there might not be a ton of water in your bottle left, but when I look here and I look online, there's a, water, a lot of water left to do great things for the kingdom of God. If we're willing to all pour for the glory of God. And so notice what Paul says. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. He says, man, I know. Look at what he says, verse 7. He says, I have fought. If you want to underline that word, the Greek word there is agonize. It means, man, I have battled. Man, life is a battle, guys. It's a struggle. What did Tom Brady say? Man, it's always changes. It's always hard. I've got to always be dafting. That's what Paul says. Now, when you look at that word agonize, we don't know. Uh, there are often times that this word agonize, and we certainly think about this in our mindset, and some of you guys have been there. Uh, it could be a military word. That, man, I am fighting the battle. I am agonizing. It's hard. It's hot. It's drudgery. It's a, or it's a word used for an athlete that competes. And so as you think of those two metaphors, a, a soldier that is soldiering on or an athlete that when no one else is looking, 
They are working. They are focused on their nutrition. Paul says, man, I have fought the good fight. I have what? I've gone on. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's sweet victory. Now think about this. Paul is at the end of his life. All he's done is shared the gospel. There's something missing here. There's something missing. What's missing? There doesn't seem to be any bitterness. Paul, all he had done is shared the gospel, planted churches, served others, and here he is in chains for the gospel. It just seems like bitterness is missing. Let me ask you a question. If you do something for God and things get a little hard, do you get bitter? If you do something for God and things don't turn out well, do you get bitter? Look at Paul. It, it, it's almost as if when I read this, I'm like, shouldn't he be a little hacked off? Right? That things aren't better? Well, boy, if you, if you hear some of the preachers of the day, or some of the shouldn't he by now live in a mansion and drive nice cars because he's given to God and he's planted his seed and the blessing should have arrived? Man, that, that's some of the currents. If we get caught up into this, I, I, we, believe, we, we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a blessing God. But man, if you think, if I give a little to the church, it's because I'm going to get a Ferrari tomorrow, I think you just need to go read the New Testament. Our rewards are not down here. And that's what Paul says. Guys, there are rewards. Every penny you give, every moment you serve, every, every gospel conversation you have with somebody, there is a reward. But it may not be down here. And I love this. Man, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now notice what he says. He says, now, what is he talking about? When the last drop is gone. There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. What he's talking about? He's talking about in heaven. He's talking about, man, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness when I show up and when I arrive in heaven. And guys, everybody in here, the same thing. And then notice as you journey on. He says, and not only me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. I love that. Paul doesn't say, not only for me, but all who have been awesome like me. Paul doesn't say, not only for me, but all who have planted churches and sacrificed and done so much and been through so much. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, guys, the crown of righteousness is for all in spite of our past, in spite of our failures, 
in spite of our struggles, do you realize if you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've lived your life more like Samson to this point than Paul, there is in store for you a crown of righteousness. What an incredible thought. What does it require? Us keeping the faith to the end. So that's thought number one. Here, here's the second way that Paul stayed on guard is he put on the full, full armor of God. Notice what he says. He put on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 17. He says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let me tell you what. When we leave here today, the devil's scheming against you. How many of you know? He's scheming against you. And the trap he's setting for you is completely different than the trap he's setting for me. And you and I better leave this place having put on the full armor of God. He says, and notice this, he says, this is the corporate dimension. Now listen, it's one thing for Paul to say, I need to put on the full armor of God. But notice the transition here in verse 12. He says, for our struggle, everybody say our. That's us. Yes, there's an individual decision, but there's a corporate mandate. I individually have to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But when I go against Satan, there needs to be us. It needs to be our. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of the evil one in the heavenly realm. Therefore... We, what do we do? We put on the full armor of God so that, why? When the evil comes, everybody say when. That doesn't say if. It doesn't say if evil comes your way. It says when. Guys, if you wait until you're in the temptation or in the failure or in the struggle or in the downward spiral, if you wait till then to try to put on your armor, it's probably too late. If you wait till the sin and the temptation and the downward spiral before you start thinking, you know, if I had two or three dudes with me, I wouldn't be tempted to this sin. It's probably too late. And so there needs to be a corporate dimension of our putting on. And he goes, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that, not if, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after having done everything, to stand. How should we stand? With all the armor on, shoulder to shoulder, facing the enemy, protecting the weak, Lifting up the wounded, healing their brokenness, and fighting on. Why? Because we know there's a coming a day when our reward, 
The crown of righteousness is reserved for us in heaven. You say, well, what is the full armor of God? Let's go through this quickly. It's a belt of truth. Guys, we've got to study the Word. We've got to know the truth. We've got to have knowledge of the truth. And then he says, a breastplate of righteousness. We have to have it firmly in place. Man, that's godly actions. There's a knowledge that we have with, uh, with the belt of truth. There's a righteous deeds and good actions. The more we do right things and good things and God-honoring things, the more the spiritual momentum builds in our right actions and good actions. Then he says there's a gospel of peace. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Then he says a shield of faith. In addition to all this, he says take up the shield of faith. What does it mean? Trusting God, believing in God, having faith in God, knowing like Paul did, there is stored up for me, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You say, what's he talking about here? Boy, in those days, it was not uncommon in battle that, that if you had a shield, it was a wooden shield. This is all the way back in the Greek and the Roman uh, in those days. If you had a shield, it was a shield. Then you had archers. If they were moving into the battle, these archers would take pieces of cloth and they would wrap them around the tips of their spears, tips of their arrows, and they would dip them in some sort of oil. And then they would launch them at, at whatever you had built, whatever structure you had built. Or even if they hit your shield... They would start your shield on fire. Everything was made of wood then. They might have a sword that was made of steel, but everything else, all the defensive mechanisms were steel. So what was the response? They would oftentimes take those wooden shields and they would wrap leather around the outside of the shield and right before they went into the fiery battle, they would pour water all over the leather. Why? So they'd put the, shield, put the, put the, uh, the burning arrow out. And so what is he saying? You and I need to have a shield of faith. What is my faith? Regardless of the dart, regardless of the arrow, regardless of the tack, God has got this. Then as you can move on, he says, man, I have to have a helmet of salvation on. So let me just stop you real quick. Do you doubt your salvation? Guys, we've got to have this settled. Do you walk around saying, am I saved, am I not saved? Am I saved, am I not saved? Am I saved, am I not saved? And we all have to come to a place that we have a helmet. We are right in our heads about what's gone on in our hearts. I'm going to say that again, guys. We spiritually have to be right in our heads about what's gone on in our hearts. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you've realized that my sin has separated me from God? But God didn't want to leave me separated from Him. He loved me so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again the third day, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but would be saved. Have you ever become one of those whoever? See, I, I want you to know the fact that you struggle with sin and temptation still doesn't mean you're not saved. If you look at St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, go to Romans chapter 7. Boy, Paul is a spiritual giant. He's written books. He's already planted churches. But in Romans chapter 7, he says, I've got this battle raging in my life. He goes, that which I want to do is what I find myself not doing. And that which I don't want to do is exactly what I find myself doing. How many of you think Paul was a Christian? How many of you have read Romans? 
Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Man, let me tell you what, this dude is a spiritual giant. He comes to Romans chapter 7 and he says, Man, there is this battle that rages in my life. But if you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, what does he say? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 7, he ends by saying, I got this war. Chapter 8. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Come back. Do you have the helmet of salvation? If you don't know that you have trusted Christ as Savior, let's settle it right now. Don't be confused by thinking the next time I'm tempted or the next time I fail, I'm probably not a Christian. That's Satan's lie. That is a fiery dart. So if you question whether you're a Christian or not, Let's settle it today. After this time, you've got Sloan, you've got Justin, you've got the other Justin. Let's settle it today so you can leave here today going, you know what, I, 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 I put a stake in the ground. Satan's never going to trip me up with this one again. So notice what he says, helmet of salvation, and then notice as we journey out of here, the sword of the Spirit. He says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Guys, we've got to be people of the book. We've got to know the manual. We've got to know our instructions. We've got to know how we're going to leave. So put on the full armor of God. Remember, it's individual, but it's also corporate. We don't fight Satan alone. We are in a group, a gathering of men. So thought number one, he kept the faith till the end, till the last drop was gone. Thought number two is he always walked around with the full armor of God. And here's the final thought. He stayed out of spiritual traps. He stayed out of spiritual traps. You say, where do you see this? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental, elemental spiritual forces. What is he saying? Guys, don't head off down rabbit trails. And he's talking about philosophy. Man, th there are things that as we study God's Word, people talk about. And they end up going down a rabbit trail. I can tell you as a pastor now for 26 and a half years, there are some rabbit trails that never do anything but lead people into conversations that don't matter eternally. I believe Jesus is coming. But if all someone wants to do is talk about the second coming, I know that's a rabbit trail. There are some people that it's all prophecy, 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 prophecy. You know, here, let me just give you the answer. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, they asked him, when are you going to return? He goes, I don't know. And he went to heaven. So let me tell you what. If Jesus said, I don't know, you don't know. How many of you know you don't know? All right? So listen, study prophecy, read Revelation, but don't sit around and make it your life. Some people make it your, their life. Man, that is a rabbit trail. The lost people are out there, right? I'll tell you another one, and, and some people aren't going to lie. Calvinism. Man, we got people that they talk more about Calvinism than they talk about Christ. If I remember looking in the New Testament, Jesus never mentioned John Calvin. Are you appreciative of John Calvin? Absolutely. Man, between him, Martin Luther, and John Calvin, and all the reformers, I love it. The theology they wrote is amazing. 
But if all you want to talk about is Calvinism, you've missed the mark. You've gone off into a vain philosophy because the lost are out there. So guys, don't go off into spiritual traps. Know the core, know the basics, read the word, put on the full armor of God, make a determination, I'm going to keep the faith, and then let me tell you what, when I see a rabbit trail, I'm out. I've also come to a place uh, that sometimes people walk into the church, and part of my job is to keep them out. And if someone rolls in here, and I had this just recently, after one of my sermons, they started this, do you ever preach on this? And I go, explain that. And they started explaining it to me. And they said, hey, I really want to gather this visitor and begin to talk about this. And as they begin to talk, I'm like, this is their rabbit trail. And I said, we're probably not the church for you. Because we're not going to sit around and talk, well, do you mind if I gather a group of your people? Yeah, I do. Because you're going to lead them down a prayer. Well, can I sit down with all of your staff? No, you can't. You say, that seems harsh. Just 26 and a half years of seeing our people get distracted from the main thing. So guys, how do we experience sweet, sweet victory? Make a determination today. You're going to keep the faith. Leave here with the full armor of God on, knowing you're not alone, but have others with you. Finally, don't get off into spiritual traps. Make sure you understand. I'm not saying don't read a book on the second coming. I'm not saying don't read a book on Calvinism. I'm not saying don't read a book on evangelism or this or that. Or Just make sure it doesn't become your trap. Because ultimately, we only have so much water in the bottle. And I want to pour it out for the right things. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is that every one of us would be men like Paul who with past failures and present weaknesses still pressed on and kept the faith, put on the full armor of God and stayed out of spiritual traps. God, if there's one man here today that's not certain of his salvation, that they would put on the helmet of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and no longer doubt in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have sweet victory today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.